Well, great to have you tuning in with us this morning. Um, feels like every week when we gather together to watch from home, something new or different has happened in what we're allowed to do or not allowed to do. So if you've had a week of looking after kids at home, or you've unexpectedly found yourself back from your workplace um, at home again, uh, furloughed, uh, lots of uncertainty. Thank you so much for giving us your time this morning as we look at the Bible together. My name is Morris. I'm one of the leaders here at Christchurch. And um, over this next uh, few weeks, we are going to be looking at the book of the Bible called Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. And we've called the sermon series, The New Normal. And I need to tell you, that phrase is bandied about a lot at the moment. And I hate the phrase, The New Normal. I can't stand it because it keeps being used by people to suggest that all of the things that are important to us, like hugging people and having people in our homes and all the stuff we're not allowed to do at the moment, you just have to get used to not being able to do those anymore. And I want you to know that I'm not an acceptor of that. That's not why I've called the sermon series that we all have to get used to um, the way things are and think it will be like that forever. I think there's far more hope than that coming in terms of coronavirus. But I do want to borrow this very often used phrase at the moment to describe our sermon series in this book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. The book is written by someone called Luke who wrote one of the Gospels. And I guess you could call Luke's first book, which we have in the Bible as called Luke, the Acts of Jesus. Then his follow-up book is the Acts of the Apostles. Apostles are the people chosen by Jesus to send his message all around the world. Uh, so uh, the book of Acts is all about what normal life should be like for Christians after Jesus has gone back to his Father in heaven. Now, if you're not a Christian, you might think this is all a bit weird. You were drawn in by this sneaky new normal title, thinking I was going to tell you uh, some great spiritual insights about what the world and future is going to be looked like. So sorry about that if you're feeling that way, but I do want to say to you if you're not a Christian, here is the simple historical truth, no matter what you believe, that after the historical figure Jesus lived, the world became utterly different. He was like a stone dropped in the pool and the ripples of his life still are going out and out and out and out and out into human history today, thousands of years after he lived. There has been a new normal since him. And I think as a Christian, the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of his followers, opens up to us why is the world so different after Jesus? Why does everything change so that what happens then is now normal? And the book of Acts basically says this, that after Jesus died and came back to life and went back to his Father in heaven, God poured out his Holy Spirit. That God is present in the lives of people who trust him by the actual person of his Spirit. Every person who comes to Jesus for forgiveness has God in their life. And that's changed everything. That's changed the course of history. 
So we're going to spend the next few months looking at the first six chapters of the book of Acts. So it would be helpful if you had that open in front of you. It's after the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John in the New Testament, then the book of Acts. You can find it on your phone or find it in a paper Bible. We're going to look at them bit by bit over the next few months between now and Easter. But we are going to look at the whole section, all of Acts 1 to 6, as a sort of overview today. We're going to see three things about the new normal, the new way things are after Jesus goes back to his Father in heaven. Three things that Luke wants us to see are normal now God gives us his spirit. Here's the first thing, Luke's big point about this world after Jesus has gone back to heaven and the spirit is given. The new normal is empowered people pointing to Jesus. I was once asked to be a witness in a legal case, a criminal prosecution. Uh, never actually went to court in the end, but I'll be honest with you, it was a pretty costly, messed up experience. And the only, no one offered me anything to do. The only reason to say yes to being a witness is if you think the truth that you're going to be a witness to is pretty important. That's why people stand up to be witnesses to things, because they think the truth about whatever it is really matters. Well, this week we were having a chat in our Connect group, and if you're not in an online Connect group at the moment, I can only recommend it. Someone said to, uh, just in conversation really, in this time we're in, I've been praying, and as I was praying I realised this is a perfect opportunity to ask my friend who lives in another country to come to the Churches Exploring Christianity course where people can ask questions about the faith, because... Uh, I can never invite her to come usually, but it's all done online. I can invite her. And then as I was praying, I was thinking about a friend in another country and thought she would be great. Uh, she would really appreciate reading the Bible. So I sent her away to get the Bible on her Kindle. I have other friends who, in our own church family, who have been walking through the deepest grief they could have experienced, actually said about the funeral of the person that they'd lost, it will be a great chance for our friends to hear about Jesus. <clears throat> I've seen lots of people have to have their sort of medical career plans thrown into confusion by all of this going on at the moment. But they've started each stage of that saying, well, what's God up to here and the people that I'm working with and how can I join in? There have been people in our church family who didn't take promotions because they had great relationships talking about spiritual stuff in the job they were in and they didn't want to move. There have been people in our church who basically said to me, my job is horrible and everyone hates it, but because it's a miserable workplace, I'm getting particular chances to show grace and speak truth, so I'm not going to leave. Now, I would never tell you who any of those people were by name. They'd be embarrassed. And they, when they were telling me those things, were not boasting. Because to them, that was just normal. <clears throat> Those people are heroes to me. But to them, it's just like what God's spirit in me is bringing me to do. To structure my life around pointing to Jesus. And when that's difficult, giving me the power to keep going so that I can point to him. If your life is filled with the Holy Spirit, the reality of God's presence, caring about Jesus being pointed to just becomes a normal part of life. 
that is the new normal once the Holy Spirit is poured out. There's room for different giftings and different ways to do that. But that is what you'll care about and how you make decisions. The word that Jesus uses in Acts chapter 1 is that we become witnesses. And like I said, witnessing is just pointing to the truth because you think the truth matters. Uh, Christians have adapted the word witnessing. I used to know some really intense Christians who said, we're going to go and witness now. And it meant sort of going and annoying people on the street who didn't really want to talk to you. All it means is that same word as a law court. I, I want the truth to be known, so I'm going to stand up and say it. And the Holy Spirit makes every Christian <clears throat> a witness to that truth. This is what Jesus says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He says to his apostles, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It is now the new normal for anyone who knows Jesus to have received the Holy Spirit at the moment they trusted him into their lives and that to become important to them, pointing to the truth. Acts chapter 2 is a great story. I can't wait till we get there. But it's basically amazing in Acts chapter 2 when God's Spirit's poured out, the way that this small and weak and unimpressive group of followers who you would laugh at if you read about them in Luke's first group first book, are totally transformed. Even in chapter 1, when Jesus leaves, they appear to have no clue what he's talking about. And they have their order of businesses to deal with the fact that one of them betrayed Jesus so badly, he killed himself. Yet the Spirit is poured out, and they are amazingly empowered to tell the truth about Jesus. You know, um, as the book goes on, some people who see them say this, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realised they were unschooled ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these people had been with Jesus. They seem to have had a character transplant. And that is because they've received the Holy Spirit. That's the one thing in this section Luke wants us to see, that the new normal, that is, a life filled with the Holy Spirit, which every Christian receives from God, that normal life is bravery and passion to point to truth about Jesus that you think matters. Now, it's interesting, in the chapters, we get big names, Peter and John making speeches. But the whole church is involved in this witness. They identify, even though they're not do the ones speaking, they identify with it and they say, yes, we are with them. And they take all the flack that comes from being a follower of Jesus. And they speak up and show hospitality and they give money to the mission, even to the point of selling stuff. And they all get persecuted. The Holy Spirit makes them all point to Jesus, even though they may not be the ones standing at the front giving the speech. The other thing that's a real feature, and it may be a question we come back to, is the fact that the Holy Spirit seems to enable the apostles to do miracles. Now that become, has become a big bone of contention in church life, and so I'm sure we'll have to talk about it more as we look at the book of Acts, and we'll be looking at it, most of us, in our connect groups as well. It's clear, isn't it? Uh, it's clear as you look at Acts, as you read it, while there's focused times when there seem to be lots of signs and wonders going on, 
if you spread them out over the whole time period that that happens, we're talking a miracle once every three or four years. And the Holy Spirit doesn't always seem to do miracles as part of bringing people to witness to Jesus, but he does sometimes. I think what we're seeing is the Holy Spirit always brings the power that is needed to be witnesses. And so we shouldn't write off the possibility at all of God doing miraculous things in particular places and particular times if people need that in order to be his witnesses then. But let's not be distracted by the fact that lots of miracles seem to happen because look beyond the miracles has a consistent view of uh, what the Holy Spirit does in people's lives. This could have been repeated lots of times. And Acts 4.31 describes the believers and says they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God boldly. The new normal is empowered people pointing to Jesus. Now you may have had some wrong ideas of the Holy Spirit talk to you over time, so Acts would be a great book to study. Some people talk about the Holy Spirit a lot and they stand and they worship and say, the Spirit is really moving me or the heart, I really feel God's Spirit is telling me to lead this way or this way or this way. I have no argument with any of that. If the actual work of the Spirit that you want to and you're actively pointing others to Jesus is real in your life. Having lots of warm feelings and not caring about people who don't know Jesus is not the Spirit's work. We receive it and being, uh, we receive the Spirit and we want to be witnesses to Jesus. Like I said, it's a communal effort in the church in Acts. It's not just people going out on their own. The church gathers together, Ron, Peter and John and the other public, um, uh, public apostles. So it may not be that the work of the Spirit for you to point to Jesus at the moment is to go into the street and preach the gospel, although it might be. It might be joining in with other things people are doing. We had a great experience over Christmas of the work of the Holy Spirit in our connect group where we said it'd be nice to organise some carol singing in our street for our neighbours because no one go to any carol services. And some people from our group basically said, we'll come along and help you carol sing and we'll chat to your neighbours if they come out to their doorsteps and we'll help you deliver things round the doors in your street. The Holy Spirit wasn't just us. The Holy Spirit was everybody gathering as a communal thing to say, yes, we want to point to Jesus. It's been lovely for me to see so many people in our church using social media over this time to really come out of the closet as Christians and say the hope here is Jesus. That's the Holy Spirit too. We all have different roles, but the new normal is that you are empowered, if you're a Christian, to point to Jesus. So the first challenge of Acts is that basically you aren't that bothered about pointing to Jesus or you feel like you're too scared to do it, or you don't share your faith because you're too busy debating politics on the internet or discussing theology with other Christians, you're not caring about people outside of the church, then why not pray an earnest prayer to be constantly filled with the Holy Spirit? Why not pray that every day for a week as we study Acts 1 to 6? 
And you'll find, I think, your heart being changed by God's active presence in your life that you want to point to Jesus. Here's the second thing that Luke says is the new normal. The new normal is an amazing, frustrating church. We're so used to experiencing church by all being together in one place, worshipping and learning and loving each other. You might feel a pang when you read this description of the first church in Acts chapter 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It's remarkable even at this stage where they're still gathered in Jerusalem and it's all Jewish people. But this was a group who in a previous life were marked out in being able to access different courts of the temple depending on where they'd been born. They really regarded each other in the past lots of these people with suspicion. But here they are, the Holy Spirit creates as a normal thing. Living, sharing together, meeting both publicly and in people's homes, sharing what they had so no one was in need, even selling stuff to make the community work. And Luke seems to be saying in these chapters, when people trust in Jesus, when they're made right with God, so the Spirit comes into their lives, the new normal is a radical community, a community who are committed to each other, but more than that, they enjoy being together. They gladly give up things to care for one another. The church envisaged in Acts is not someone being dragged along to listen to another sermon because it's the right thing to do. It's a group delighted to be together to learn and share and remember Jesus. The boldness we see in that we saw a moment ago, plus this powerful community, is leading to constantly people being saved. Now, all of this place, uh, this first six chapters takes place in Jerusalem. While they were gathering still in the temple, I guess they still basically regarded themselves as Jewish. They just believed in the Jewish Messiah. But the story is they get pushed further and further out from the temple, first into the outer courts and then out altogether and then away from Jerusalem altogether. But that's the story that Luke is telling, that the presence of God is no longer found in a building. God lives by his spirit in the life of every person who trusts Jesus. And that presence is made manifest, is made real, is made seeable when those people love each other round the word, praying. When I was reading Wikipedia, uh, which excellent research for sermons, obviously. Uh, when I was reading Wikipedia, um, someone said in, uh, in the Wikipedia article about Acts, they were saying, um, oh, people don't really believe Acts is historically true now because the story of the church is very idealised. If you read Paul's letters, you discover it wasn't idealised at all. They were having arguments all the time. That is a very selective reading. If you only read chapter 2, 42 to 47, you might be excused for thinking that. 
The first meeting the church have is to devote themselves to prayer, but their first business meeting they have is to pick up the pieces of Judas, one of their most trusted leaders, betraying Jesus and then killing himself. We have the beautiful picture of people bringing what they have to help others, but that also leads to those who think, oh, well, there's a chance to look good here by pretending to give money, all your money, when in fact you're not really giving it. And that has serious and terrifying consequences for those people. I think what we begin to see is that having a church that is both this amazing community, but also home to quite a lot of hypocrites, that's the new normal. A community teaching God's grace and kindness will draw in shysters who see a chance to plump themselves up. In fact, you get to chapter 6. And the new church, born by the Spirit, are having an argument about who's getting the most food to eat. They're having an argument at their church lunch about who goes to the front of the queue. An argument about money and resources. They're having an argument because they felt the in crowd were being treated better. And the church has to adapt to deal with that issue. See, the story of Acts is that every believer receives the Holy Spirit. The presence of God lives in every Christian. And the presence of God is made manifest, seeable, real when the church really loves each other. But the church is a temporary, between the ages, state of affairs. The work begun by the Holy Spirit in Christians is not completed until Jesus returns and makes all things new. And so the church lives between these two ages. An amazing community formed by the Holy Spirit, but also frustrating community because it's drawing in people who are broken and wrong and sinful. I mean, it's true, isn't it? The people in church, even the real Christians, are still battling sin. We know that. We argue over unimportant things in the grand scheme of things, like who gets fed first at the church lunch. We find each other sometimes a bit annoying. I'm sure I've irritated some of you this week because I'm still sinful and I promise you some of you have done that to me. And also the church isn't perfect because the world is bad. Christians express grace and kindness. That actually means some people who are fake believers see a chance to take advantage of Christians. And so people who are innocent in the church get hurt. And the time between Jesus going to heaven and returning to make things new therefore means that church is the most amazing spirit-formed community and also most frustrating place in the world where we're still battling with our own and other people's sin. There are people who are basically like, yeah, yeah, God's uh, um, uh, in me, I have the presence of God. But, you know, church is a bit rubbish. And so I can't be bothered with it, really. As if the fact the church is a bit rubbish is surprising to anyone. Least of all Jesus. It's there in the first chapters of Acts. I think there are lots of people who would find this whole discussion a bit strange, to be honest. Because they would be like, my experience of the church is neither that it's really amazing or that it's really frustrating. My experience of church is just a sort of thing that you do. I keep it at arm's length, so nothing the church does particularly excites me or frustrates me. I just go and leave. And Acts 1-6 says that's not normal. 
your real experience of the community formed by the Holy Spirit through messed up people in the broken world will be moments of amazing care and love and community in seeing God at work and moments of amazing frustration. The church full of, is full of people who've received the Holy Spirit who are works in progress. And maybe you're listening today and you have been hurt by someone who falsely claimed to be a Christian, who used the church for their own gain, like a couple called Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. Well, Acts chapter 5 assures us that anyone who does that, God will not let them get away with it. But it also says that's not a good reason to ditch the church. So don't quit on church because of an unpleasant person. Please don't quit on church because of Acts, the Acts 6 story, which is all little irritations of people not getting on. The church has always been like that. Their first meeting was to talk about one of them actually betraying Jesus. The new normal is an amazing, frustrating church. You know, people often move on from a particular church family because they think another church family will be better. Acts 1 to 6 says, All churches which have real Christians in them and do the things that Acts describes, gather around the word and uh, pray and uh, read the Bible, they will have moments of amazing you know, uh, experiences of God at work and moments where they'll drive you totally mad. And to call you then from Acts 1 to 6 to stick with the community the Holy Spirit forms, particularly at the moment when the habit of coming on Sunday is one that's hard to, to um, keep going. Keep loving and sharing and giving yourself to people, not because you think it will be perfect, but because God's presence is in every Christian and is made real to the world as broken, messed up people do the church thing. Another interesting thing, just as an aside, is that the trial the church have in Acts 6, where they're all falling out, actually leads young men to become leaders. And that seems to be the way God works as well. The frustrations of the church are chances for people to step up and make a difference. Maybe that's the call of Acts 1 to 6 for you this morning if you're feeling frustrated by your church experience. Here's the third thing we see in Acts chapter 1 to 6. The new normal is opposition versus prayer equals progress. I think our default in our world is to be a little bit shocked when we discover people really are against us because of what we believe. How very dare you? I am a nice person. It's shocking no one wants to help us. It's very surprising to me that coming to our church doesn't help you get into a good school. It's a very terrible thing that no one loves and respects me in my workplace, even though I'm a Christian. The mark all the way through of Acts 1 to 6 is that we read about this community and we think it's amazing. God is at work. He's doing miracles. It must be brilliant to be part of it. And lots of people join and lots of people don't like it. They're pushed the church further and further out from the centre of the society, which they loved, which was their identity. Not only that, but they were joyful about it. There's this amazing bit 
where Peter and John, it looks like they might get thrown in prison uh, to stop, tell them to stop preaching the gospel. And someone intervenes in their behalf and it says, so they just decided to flog them. To flog them. <laughs> like hit them with a big piece of leather a lot of times. And then it says, they went on their way with joy and kept preaching the gospel anyway. Glad they'd been worthy of suffering for Jesus. So they have this opposition, but they're incredibly joyful in it. How and why is that? Well, it's because constantly their first response is to turn to prayer. And not arrow prayers, just like, oh Lord, please help me. But constant, intense, serious, passionate prayer. Right in the middle of this section, chapter 4, is a long description of a prayer meeting. Incidentally, it's not because they think God won't do anything if they don't pray. They don't say, oh Lord, you need to intervene because uh, you need to change everything and you're not doing it at the moment. No, they come to God because he's the one who they believe sovereignly runs and rules the world. It's worth looking at this whole prayer in Acts chapter 4, um, verses 24, uh, 23 to, uh, 24 to 31. Um, should come up on the screen. I'm going to read all of it. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers bond together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and your will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they pray that, the presence of the Holy Spirit was so intense that the room shook. Do you see the focus of their time with God wasn't to change the situation, but it was to say, enable us to speak boldly. And the result of it was that they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God. So uh, they face opposition all the time. They're able to do that joyfully. Why? Because they're so invested in this deep, passionate relationship of prayer with God. And that opposition plus prayer equals progress. People are added to their number all the time. Even when at the end of the section they're persecuted and have to run away and scattered all over the country, God uses that to bring a wider range of people to know him. Let's be honest. Our normal is that most people don't mind that we're Christians because we don't say or do much about our faith. Therefore, we don't really experience much opposition. So we have no need of the intense and deep life-changing prayer that they did. It's where Christians from other cultures have so much to teach us. And because we don't have the opposition leading us to the intense prayer, we don't see much progress. People coming to know the Lord. I think that's most of our normality. And Acts 1 to 6 is saying our normal Christian experience is miles away from the normal Christian experience of someone filled by God's Holy Spirit. 
that a normal Christian experience to be in a struggle with powers you can't control, for that to drive you to deep prayer and that to lead to people becoming Christians. If you want to hear about people really doing that, have a chat with anyone in our church who's been on the mission trip to Lebanon, where they see that in action all the time. And this is why this moment is a great time for us to learn this, because we're facing not opposition from the state to the Christian faith, but pressure against our normal Christian lives from things we can't control. And I think if we turn that into deep, intense prayer, we'll actually find we're making progress, even though we can't do a whole lot of the things we'd like to do. It's said of some preachers, his texts were many and his sermons were one. That is, he spoke from a different bit of the Bible every week, but he just said the same thing. And I'm aware that last week we were looking at Daniel, a totally different part of the Bible, and I ended up talking about prayer meetings, and here I am again, about to do the same thing. But it just seems to me this is one way in which we are not reflecting the normality the Bible describes of spirit-filled people. Many of us, it comes to the time for our online prayer meeting, and we think the normal thing to do is to skip it and watch telly or go to bed early or say, I'm feeling tired. That's not the normal Christian life that Luke opens up to us. No, feeling opposition and stress and tiredness and weariness with life should lead us to intense prayer with other Christians and to long for that and to be helped by that. So maybe you want to do something different this year. Maybe your pattern of church uh, up till this very strange year that we have was to that church time was this time on Sunday morning where you came to our church meetings. And whatever we do with church meetings over the next few weeks, everybody won't be able to come together on Sunday morning for some time yet. So why not choose the regular thing you do, the thing you set aside time to do every week, not together to hear me give a sermon, but to pray with someone regularly for a considerable amount of time. Maybe you're in a prayer square or you'd like to be in one, but you could just phone a friend and do that. If you live with people, you could do it. If you're married, you could do it. Make that the spiritual practice. That's what Christians normally do when life is hard. And over our meetings on the next few Sundays, particularly when we're not allowed to have children's work, we are going to make praying more of a focus for the, the small number who are able to gather. There are many things we feel at the moment are impossible in life. The normal response of Christians is to meet with each other and God in a spirit-filled prayer and to be sent out from that not to a different situation but joyfully to do the work God's given us to do. The new normal, Luke says, is this life of constant infilling of God's spirit. That's what Acts 1 to 6 is all about. So the new normal is empowered people pointing to Jesus. The new normal means taking your place in this both amazing and frustrating new community that God is making. And the new normal is opposition and prayer that equals progress. Those things may be strange to us, but if that's true, it's because we're out of step because that's 
the normal Christian life that's on offer, now God's Spirit has been poured out. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, so much for the gift of your Holy Spirit, which you pour out and which is um, given to every person who trusts in Jesus and whom we can be filled with every day. And we pray, please empower us to point to Jesus. Please form our church community more and more into what it should be and help us play our part. And please may this time be marked by, yes, the stress of what we're going through at the moment, but responding to that in deep prayer so that we can make, see progress happen for Jesus. We pray all of that in Jesus' name. Amen.